So we're about halfway through a series now where we'd be looking at why we sing to God and why we sing in church. I'm really aware that I've got a bit of a speech impediment. My G's are not always the most confident um, sound I make. And when I say the word sing, it can sometimes sound like the word sin, <laughs> which in church is really problematic. <laughs> so we're talking about singing, sing, singing. Yeah, bear with me. Making noise in a tuneful way to God. Uh, as I said last week, I, was, um, I used to um, stage manage uh, worship bands. And actually, uh, ever since I became a Christian, one of the things I've been involved in quite a bit is, um, is looking after and coordinating worship bands. I, I never actually stand up and sing myself or take part in the instrumentation because I've got no musical giftings whatsoever. But I do spend some time kind of like trying to shepherd them. It's a bit like trying to shepherd cats, shepherding musicians. But you get there. And every time I've known um, a worship leader or someone go off to a, a, a worship leader's conference or such like that, you always come back having gone, a, gone to a seminar about singing songs of lament. And the theory goes that this, the, the Bible is full of, of psalms and, and songs of, of lament, of sadness. And therefore, so should our church. Perhaps we need to learn songs to sing sad songs in church. Songs about the hard times. And the worship leaders come back really excited. And you go, so what are you going to sing? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe blessed be the name again. But we'll focus on the negative verse of that. But the Bible has a whole book called Lamentations. As we just read, one of the, some of the Psalms are really quite, quite sad. Quite, they wrestle with the bad stuff. But actually to translate that into what we've seen on church on a Sunday is quite tough. So I hope today what we're going to do is we're going to explore how we come to God when things aren't right. How we come to God when our hearts are broken, when life is not as it should be, in song. What sinning does to us when we do that. Does that sound all right? Yes. This is not going to be the most funny sermon I give. Last week we spoke about how we sin in different life situations. We spoke about King Jehoshaphat and when he was faced, when the Israelites were faced with armies massing against them, one of their responses was to stand up and sin in praise and bow down in worship. And we looked at how those postures told us something about the difference between praise and worship, the different ways that our songs should function that we stand up in praise and rejoice in all that God has done for us, that we bow down in worship and submit to who God is, whatever our situation, that we praise God for all the good things that are happening in our life. We bow down in worship simply because of who God is. And in this psalm, if you still get it open, you can see it. We see those two things in action. The opening three verses. So we have heard with our ears, O God, our ancestors have told us what deeds you performed in the days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations. It talks about how God has given the Israelites victory in the past. It praises God for the victory that he's given them. 
It then moves into a time of what I would call worship, what I'm defining as, as worship, of, of submitting just, just to who God is. You are my kin and my God, it says in verse 4. You command victories for Jacob. Through you we push down our throes. Through your name we tread down our sight. Assailants. See, that, that second uh, stanza, if you will, it's, it's paragraphed quite nice in our Bibles, talks about who God is, his character, of what he will do, of the properties of God that we are assured of. And then there's a word that's in the, it's often right hand, justified on the right, it says sila. See, it means um, to take a breath. You see it all the way through the book of Psalms. It means it's to take a pause. Then after praise and worship, it says take a pause, and then the psalm goes into a complete rant, really. It turns into a worrying song. You have rejected and abased us. You've led us like sheep for the slaughter. You've made us a laughing stock among the peoples. You've broken us in the haunt of jackals and covered us with the deep darkness. This is worrying. The psalmist pours out all his worries and his problems on the Lord. Now, the one thing I really want to stress is this psalm is just one song. If you're not careful, what you do is you read this psalm like a story. There's good times, there's happy times. We thank God for the good times. We remember that you are God. Oh no, now it's all gone all terribly wrong. And that's not what's happening here. It's not a progressive story. It is one song written that the people of God can sing. They knew they were going to sin about the bad stuff at the beginning of the song. Does that make sense? They sin the praise of what God has done. They sin about how God is God and he will not forsake them. And then they pour out the psalmist, pours out his heart with his troubles, with his brokenness, with his disappointment with God. It's not a narrative where one thing happens after another. It's a, it's a model of how to sin to God in the bad times. That yes, you are brutally honest with the brokenness and problems, but you start with praise. You start with worship. Then you come to the brokenness. How do you deal with tough times? This song to God starts in the good times Middles in the being faithful, and the second half, over a half actually, is mostly a rant about God abandoning the people of God. How do you sin in the bad times? Do you sin at all? Do you sin to God when life is rubbish? When overwhelmed with grief and problems? How do you manage to find God? when everything has gone horribly wrong. I'm talking about how to sing a sad song today. Uh, Easter this year was a particularly busy time for the life of the church, and for me personally, uh, we, had our, uh, we had a visitation. Do you know what a visit, an archdeacon's visitation? 
It's where the archdeacon or maybe the airy dean comes and inspects all your paperwork. Wow, this is why I got into vicarin. Yeah. Um, you will, the, the admin staff will tell you the office was quite a high, a high level of being alert at that time. Uh, it, was my, it was my first visitation as a vicar, and although my predecessor was very good at paperwork, there was still a, an uncovering of, of bits that I would have prioritised, and we, we, we struggled to get everything together, but we, we got there. The area dean came and inspected all our paperwork. It was all in order. He praised us for how well organised we are. Well done, people. By which I mean well done, me. <laughs> But it was stressful. Then there was Easter, and Easter is always a tiring time. Uh, we tried a few new things as well. We, we had a bonfire where we did bacon at dawn, which was lovely. We had Maundy Thursday where we had, we had um, a big meal. There was about 50 of us who ate here. That was great fun. Actually, the Church of England demands of its vicars now in modern contracts that you're meant to take the week after Easter off as recognition of, of the fact that Easter is quite a draining time. But we had our annual parochial church meeting Yet again, another highlight in the church calendar. Uh, straight after that, so, so I couldn't... I got to there, and I was still... I was starting to get a bit tired. And then, um, then we had a new member of staff start. Uh, Laura is brilliant. She's fitting really, really well. I'm really happy to have Laura on board, but still, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stress to make sure that you've got all the systems in place to make sure that Laura gets, knows where the light switches are, is told how the keys work, which we messed that up, but, and she knows who the people are. And, and It's just getting a new member of staff up to speed is hard work. So I came to Maybank holiday, drained, if I'm honest. And I had something in my diary that I was, gonna, I was looking forward to. I went to Holy Trinity Brompton's leadership conference, HTV leadership conference. Uh, what they do at Holy Trinity Brompton is they fill the Royal Albert Hall with church leaders, with people in leadership roles in churches and in business and in arts, people who love Jesus, and they just talk about leadership and equip, and you hear wisdom from people with all different walks of life. But really the thing that restored my soul is you worship together. 5,000 people singing praise to God. All of them sold out. All of them who had given, given their lives to serve God. It is an utterly amazing experience. And it was meant to me, for me to be a time of rest and relaxation, a time of respite, marking a few weeks of slightly quieter diaries. So we went on the bank holiday Monday. That was great. Apart from the fact that I think Cara and I had the worst seats in the whole of the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> But still good. Nick and Laura had really great seats. I'm not jealous. <laughs> On the Tuesday, we went back for the second day. The sessions were going really well. And then at 10 past noon, on the 7th of May, my granddad breathed his last. My granddad died. Now you have to understand that I come from a single-parent family. My grandparents pretty much kind of did 50% of the raising me. My granddad was the, the, only, the most significant male influence on my life. He was the person who, who I looked up to. We, we knew he'd been in pain for some time. We knew he'd been, been admitted to hospital, but we thought he was, he was getting better. And out of the blue, at 10 past 12, he died.
I messaged the wardens as I got the train over to where my um, family live in Hillenden. Um, I'm sure Nally responded with some advice, but Christy responded, here's a list of worship songs you might, be help, might find helpful, which I thought was a bit of a strange response, but it was wise. I spent a couple of hours with my family um, and realized there was not, not much more we could, I could do or add, or actually I didn't want to be there. And so I came back to the conference hall. I came back to the Royal Hall, came back to the conference, and I sung. I sung songs of worship. With every ounce of who I was, I sung of God's victory over death. I sung that my kin had conquered the grave. I sung that my hope was not in the death and grief that surrounded me, but my hope was in Jesus. My hope was in Jesus, the resurrected one. My hope was in Jesus, who was Lord over my life. Through my tears and through my grief, I declared life will win, not death. And this is where we get down to it. If we can't celebrate the light when it's shining, we won't find the light when it gets dark. If you want to declare resurrection and victory of God in the face of death and problems and sickness and hurt, don't wait until you're grieving. Don't wait till you're in pain. Because that's not the best time to find the light of Christ. Sometimes it breaks through. But we need to rehearse now singing praises of God so that when bad times hit, we can find him. We need to learn to be intimate in the good times so that we recognize the embrace of the Father in the bad times. There's a man called Mike Lananda who is at the conference. Mike's one of our oldest friends. We've known Mike for 10, 15 years, something like that. And uh, he was there. And I came back to the conference hall and he's a big man, big man. And he just gave me this big bear hug. And it was great. You know why it was great? It wouldn't have been great if it was some stranger, some big stranger coming up going, oh, you're in grief. <laughs> it was great because Mike was a friend. And I love him and I trust him. And I know whatever I'm going through, I can turn to Mike. And the same thing's true of God. Unless we've drawn to that point of intimacy in the good times, unless we've learnt to be close to God when the sun is shining in the middle of the night, he'll seem distant. Unless we're intimate in the good times, we won't recognise the embrace of the Father in the bad times. In order, in order to sin, worthy is the king who has conquered the grave when grief surrounds you, when you need to declare it, when you really need to remind yourselves of the victories and promise of God, to sin it then, you have to inhabit it now. To sin worthy as the king who has conquered the grave when darkness comes, you have to sin it in the light. Some of us get lazy about sinning in the light in the good times because we're comfortable. And then we can't sin Death is defeated. The king is alive in the bad times. I spent that night, Tuesday the 7th of May, listening to worship songs. 
Thanks, Christy. You'd give me a playlist. I didn't watch Line of Duty, which would probably be my <laughs> standard thing at that time. I spent it worshipping God. See, we started our sermon series on singing praise to God, reminding ourselves that in the heavenly realm, angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That when we sing, we are echoing the promises of eternity. The songs that we sing are promises to the reality that we inhabit, whatever our situation. They remind us of the eternal truths when we are occupied with temporal problems. Songs force us into the eternal truths when we're distracted by the problems and hardship of now. Now, I don't want you to take away from this sermon anything about my grief. I don't want any of this, I'm sorry for your loss in the peace. Actually, I'll be pretty annoyed if that's what you take away from this. That's not what I'm looking for. And indeed, I'm feeling I'm, the emotion that I have from this sermon is not to do with my grief. I'm broken by this message, not because of my grief, but because I keep on meeting brokenness in, in this church and this community. Brokenness of sickness and pain, of grief and struggle, of relationships on rocky grounds, of the disappointment when children reject faith, of mental health struggles, of overwhelming work pressures, of commitments that just seem undeliverable. I see brokenness of real darkness in lives all around me, and I keep seeing people trying to dig their way out of trouble dig their way out of the darkness and forgetting to sin about the life, sinning of the victory because what will save us is not us dwelling in the darkness trying to get out but it will be sinning of the light and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we need to call out to God in the hard times the same phrase that's here. Rouse yourself, O God. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake! Do not cast us off forever. Every time the darkness comes and the grief is overwhelming, I will remember the light. I will call upon my hope because I've taught myself to do that daily. I don't hold that up as a pride thing. But surround yourself with the declaration that God is good in every part of your life. So that when life is bad, it's become a natural thing that you say to yourself. And finally, this passage ends. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Your steadfast love. Um, I preached at my granddad's funeral. Um, and I preached about this phrase, steadfast love. It appears again and again and again in the Psalms. Nice poetic phrase, isn't it? Your love endures forever, it says in the, in the Psalms, again and again and again. It's not a very good translation of the, of the, Hebrew. the Hebrew. The Hebrew actually talks about your unfailing covenant, your faithful promise. And the reason that my granddad was an influence on my life was not because he was some incredible inventor that changed the world, or he did tasks of great heroic epics, 
It's because he was, a simple man seems insulting to say, but he was a man who lived out every day immoral truth with a faithful promise to love his family, a faithful promise to do his best, to use whatever he's got to live well. And when we sing praises to God, what we do is remind ourselves that sometimes, and nearly all the time, our problems are not solved by a lightning bolt from heaven fixing us overnight. But the faithful son declaration of the faithful promise of God that he loves you now, he'll love you tomorrow, and his love for you will never change. That hope is eternal. It is both infinitely complex, infinitely wonderful, awesome beyond belief, but it's also just fundamentally there day in, day out. And so as we sing songs, we sing songs in church, in our home groups, maybe in our home life, we're reminding ourselves daily, a bit like that daily bread, that God loves you, And he's had the victory over death, over sin, over all the problems in your life. So that when life gets really dark, when the problems seem overwhelming, we can remember that light. Because we've tasted and we've seen it day in, day out. So shall we sing praise to God? Because it's the most everyday thing to do but it will save us because we'll be reminded of the saving grace of Jesus Christ and we can't see anything else. If you're able, you please stand.